I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by Dante Labs, the global leader in genomics solutions for rare diseases. With their Rare Disease Health Package, they offer comprehensive whole genome sequencing for rare disease patients. To learn more about Dante Labs and how they're revolutionizing healthcare, visit us.dantelabs.com. Hello, my cherished listeners. Welcome back to Once Upon a Gene. I'm your host, Effie Parks. And if you're new here, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you found this show. This episode especially is going to be super handy for you right about now. Picture this. You're strolling through the supermarket aisles. Somehow you made it there. Oh, the stars aligned. And you're lost in thought. Probably some stressful ones. Or maybe you're just enjoying this glorious moment of solitude. When suddenly you bump into a friend and their eyes are filled with concern. And their looming question. <laughs> How have you been? How's your family? And all of a sudden your heart races and your skin gets red and blotchy and hot. And a thousand answers flood your mind. What do you do? Do you give the quick, rehearsed supermarket answer? Or do you let them in on the unfiltered truth? Today I'm talking to one of my very favorite rare moms and friends, and she has come up with some really, really approachable strategies for this exact instance, uh, being out in public or even deciding whether or not to answer that phone call that day. So you're going to learn a lot, and you're also just going to find some serious relatability <laughs> in these moments that we all have throughout our days. So there's also going to be some links in the show notes to some past episodes her and her beautiful son Noah have been on. Definitely recommend checking them out. Those are episodes 114, 109, and 100. And today we're also going to touch a little bit on her role over at the Courageous Parents Network, whom I love and adore and is such a great resource for medically complex families. So do make sure and check out their website after this if you haven't been connected to them yet. Anyways, please enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Seidman. Well, well, well. Jennifer Seidman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Effie. It's always good to be here. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited to talk to you. Before we begin, Jen, can you uh, briefly share a little bit about your journey with your son's rare disease, San Filippo, and kind of how it led you to show up at 
Courageous Parents Network. Sure, Effie. So um, my son, Benjamin, who's my middle child, was diagnosed in 1996 with Stamp-Lebo syndrome, which is a progressively debilitating lysosomal storage disorder. He was only 15 months old at the time. So, you know, he looked and acted much like a regular kid. But over time, developmentally, he kind of peaked around the age of six and then over time began losing skills. That's how his disease goes. And um, unfortunately for us in 2019, Benjamin passed away from actually pneumonia, which is very common in kids with Sampleipo syndrome. I spent a lot of time working in rare disease because my family worked to fund research into uh, Sampleipo syndrome. And um, then shortly after Ben was diagnosed, I was interviewed by the founder of Courageous Parents Network, Blythe Lord, about my experience with palliative care and how it had really changed the trajectory of Ben's life, particularly in the last five years of his life, um, and really supported my family. And after that, I was hooked on how much uh, families needed support about the psychosocial and emotional components of traveling with a child with an exceptionality and a a life-limiting illness or serious medical illness, and then started my work at Courageous Parents Network, where now I am officially the director of community engagement, which means I get the great opportunity to interface with people like you and other families and patient organizations. And I do a little bit of work with biotech companies and clinicians as well. Awesome. If you don't know who Courageous Parents Network is, CPN, after the show, there is a link in the notes. Go and follow them immediately. Every rare family, it's the number one resource other than one spot of gene that I give to new families for sure. So check it out. They have amazing content. And obviously, Blythe and Jen and the whole team is just, they're so fabulous. And I learn from them constantly, especially Jen, which is why I'm asking her here today, because she always just has so much wisdom and, you know, she's so much further along in the journey than myself, for sure. But she came up with this concept that she dubbed the grocery store answer. And I know a lot of us talk online about like, you know, people questioning us, like, how are we? How are our kids? How's our life? All those things. And it's just really not that simple. Hey, listeners, I want to take a moment to talk about Dante Labs and their groundbreaking rare disease health package. If you or someone you know is facing the challenges of a rare disease, this is a game changer. With their advanced whole genome sequencing, Dante Labs provides a comprehensive view of your genetic makeup, helping to pinpoint the cause of a rare disease and offering potential treatment options. Dante Labs understands the time is of the essence for rare disease patients. That's why their results are available within weeks, not months. Plus, their pre- and post-specialist consultations offer invaluable support throughout your diagnostic journey. So, if you're seeking answers and support for rare disease, turn to the experts at Dante Labs. Visit us.dantelabs.com to explore the rare disease health package and take charge of your health today. Jen, for those unfamiliar, you can probably explain it a little better than me. What do you mean by the grocery store answer and how did this term come about? So Effie, this is funny. This is where you know that I live on the East Coast and you live on the West Coast because I call it the supermarket answer because that's what we call it here. (laughs) But grocery store or supermarket, it doesn't really matter. Those questions are often just the simplest ones. And sometimes they're a comment. They could be a question like, how are you? Or how's your child? They could be a question like, want to get some dinner? That can be really complicated when your life is complicated. 
How can I help? That sounds like a solicitation that you might want. But again, the answer can be really hard. How do you say so so strong? Or the comment might be, you're so strong, or I don't know how you manage. You know, it could be something like, as rude as something like, God only gives you what you handle, or it's good you have other kids, because how do you respond to those two kind of comments as well? So I would get this barrage of things from people, and I and I would have to think to myself, each time, how am I going to answer? And each time felt so complicated. And so what I decided was I needed to come up with a strategy to answer those questions. And I created what I said was the supermarket answer. And oftentimes when I was deciding to give the supermarket answer, which is what I would say is that answer where you say when somebody says, oh, how's Ben? And I would say, oh, he's fine. That's the supermarket answer, right? That's the one you give in passing when you're running down the aisle and you're trying to get your mac and cheese so you can get home and make it for your kids and get them off to whatever they have to do. And you just want to give the easy answer. And that answer often feels really hollow for us because we know there's so much more going on. But I would stand when people would ask me that and say, okay, is this person across from me looking for the supermarket answer or are they looking for something deeper? And when you make that evaluation, it makes you think about a lot of things. It makes you think, am I emotionally up for answering with the real truth? Maybe I'm not today. Maybe I just need to give them that quick answer that doesn't explore any of my emotions. It makes you look at that person and say, Is this person standing across from me going to be willing to hear it if I give a more complicated answer? Are they ready to hold that emotional burden of knowing the real truth? And if they're not, am I in a position where I have to feel responsible for holding it for them? Because that's often what happens, right? We've all been in that situation, Effie, you've been there, where, you know, you say the truth. You say, well, actually... You know, today Ben fell down and he cut his head and it happened last week. So now I'm thinking about padding the walls. And the person who gets that answer doesn't know what to say in return. And suddenly you become responsible for their emotional state. And that can be really hard. So I decided that I needed to find my way out of that. And I said, I created this sort of mental list that I would go through in my head and and say, is this person really ready to hear the truth or do they just want the supermarket answer? And I think finding your truths as a, as a parent of a complicated, medically complicated kid can be very hard and challenging. Yeah, man, when we give that easy answer to over and over, like, oh, he's great, he's so happy, he's really loving school. Do they stop showing up because they think you're fine? Or if you do what you said and you just are honest for whatever reason that day and you see a deer in the headlights and you shock them and you know you're holding their heavy emotions but then you realize what you've done and you have to laugh it off and gaslight yourself and do some gallows humor or whatever you do and once again you have to kind of swallow it and move on and since you scared them does that make them stop showing up yeah you know i think it's true because we we really are living a life that others find hard to connect with right and so it, may, it can make you feel the pressure to give the correct response, which is the one that says, it's fine, he's doing great, we're all good. And that can make us feel really, really disconnected from other people. 
I think in my particular instance, what I found was because I became so comfortable with this process of evaluating what the person was looking for, who was standing across from me, and more importantly, I became very comfortable with the process of understanding what I needed in that moment. And we can talk about that in a minute. I started to challenge other people and say to them in return, are you looking for the supermarket answer right now? Or are you looking for the real deal? And they would say, what's the supermarket answer? And I would say to them, well, that's the one where I tell you that everything's okay. And it's really great. The real deal is when I tell you what's really going on and you hold that with me. And a lot of my friends would respond really great to that. And later on, I had a few that would even walk up to me and they'd ask me a question and they go, you know what? I'm just looking for the supermarket answer right now. Because they also realized that they had to have the capacity to hold whatever I was telling them. Well, I guess that would go into the list. What is the checklist that you kind of put in your strategy board and like the mental the mental checklist that you'd make when someone asked you that question? Yeah. So I always did that quick evaluation. You know, what what am I up for emotionally? Right. What do I think the other person is up for emotionally? And if I didn't feel like they were going to be ready to hear it and I didn't want the burden of their emotional response, I was given the supermarket answer. I also go through a mental checklist where I have to convince myself that it's okay to only partially answer because the fact of the matter is, is that this is your story to tell and how you want to tell it is up to you. And it can evolve and change from one day to the next. You may decide today that you want to go to a brand new hairdresser and tell her that one of your children has passed away. And it may be that today I just want to go to the hairdresser and I want to sit there. And when she says to me, how many children do you have? I just want to say two. I don't want to say three. And then when she starts asking me those deeper questions, I have to explain that Benjamin passed away. So it's okay to understand internally that it's your truth to tell and you get to be in charge of how and when you tell it. When Ben was alive, I also would think to myself, do I need to share a trial or a triumph right now? And if I knew that it would reward me to share a triumph, that often came across as the supermarket answer. So it may just be that I would say something like, yeah, you know, Ben was able to go to therapeutic horseback riding today because I had felt really good about that triumph. And, and I knew that it built me up internally and answered the question in a way that the person across from me could cope with. But sometimes I needed to tell a, tr a trial or something bad that was going on because I either needed help processing or I just needed to release it. And I think part of understanding when you need to give the supermarket answer is asking yourself what you need inside. Oof, I love that. The complexity really about sharing your triumph and sharing your trial and then also recognizing how that either patches up your soul a little bit or maybe it's it's not necessarily the direction that you should be taking right now for your emotional mental health and to really kind of keep keep tabs on it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important when you get those sort of simple questions that really can result in loaded answers that you understand what you're hoping to get in out of the interface. Are you hoping for support, community? Are you hoping to just share a joy? 
Are you hoping to just have the ability to tell the truth and have somebody listen? And if you understand those more deeply, I think when you get approached by one of those questions, they become a little less thorny to answer because you walk away not feeling like the bad guy. I think that's part of what happens with these questions, right? When somebody says to you something as simple as, how is your child? And you know it's been a a complicated day. In the end, regardless of the answer you give that person, you're really the one walking away with all the baggage that that interface carries with it. They're just getting the answer. And so internally, you have to think about what does it mean to you? And so the supermarket answer can be a really good strategy in your head. You know, I I actually love that it's called the supermarket answer because personally, the supermarket has held like an extreme emotional existence for me uh, after Ford, you know, going in and walking the aisles and not being able to buy baby food and stuff. And also then not being able to put my baby in a shopping cart. So it's kind of always held that space. And I love it as our visual for for this concept. But I wonder, are there any specific situations or environments where you do feel more inclined to provide one answer over the other? Most certainly, if I go to any kind of party where there are very few people that would relate to my personal experience of having a medically complex child in any way, I often find myself relying on sort of giving the supermarket answer, the one that doesn't tell the whole truth and everything but the truth. You know what I mean? Those are definitely opportunities. I mean, of course, less so you you almost find yourself never doing it when you're in your patient disease organization or you're with other parents that that understand you because you know you don't have to. You know that they're going to receive your emotional baggage in the same way that you're you're going to receive theirs. And so those aren't opportunities where I do it. But again, I encourage you, I would encourage everyone to sort of normalize what the supermarket answer is with their close friends that might not share that experience so that it becomes part of their dialogue too. In fact, they'll probably find it pretty handy too, because I bet everyone has a situation in which the supermarket answer is really a better appropriate choice for them in the moment, um, because everybody has something that they are carrying, right, that they don't really want to necessarily always tell every little detail about. Yes. So a safe word without the weird uh, safe connotation. I use the word Costco personally when I'm trying to get out of a situation or change the subject. But I love the idea of having your kind of inner circle know when you're ready to respond in what in one way or another. I like that. So then nobody has to even really think about it. Yeah. Or so that they can say back to you today, I'm not really in the space where I can hold all this with you. I I just need you to give me the supermarket answer. Or a lot of times they'll just learn how to phrase their answers differently, right? Or their questions differently. They'll ask you in a way that solicits the response that they know they're capable of handling in the moment instead of just throwing a platitude question at you like, how are you today? You know, they'll ask in a deeper way, like what what happened with Ford today that made you happy? You know, I, I encourage all of the people around me to think about how they're asking um, families who are coping with so much because it can make such a difference. Another example of that is, you know, it's it's so much better for a parent if you don't just say, can I bring you dinner Tuesday night? It's if you could just say, I know you're making a lot of decisions every day around Ford or Ben. 
I'd love to make it so you don't have to make a decision about what to cook on Tuesday night. Let me bring you dinner. It's ultimately getting to the same t- the same um, outcome, right? Which is dinner at your household. But all that phrasing did, Effie, was acknowledge the burden that is on you as being the caregiver to your son. And, and I mean burden in a good way because it, it's part of it. But we make a lot of decisions. We do a lot. And if the person acknowledges that before they make the offer or before they put it back on you, like, can I bring you Tuesday dinner Tuesday night? That puts the answer back on to you. You have to come up with the solution in a way. You have to say yes or no. You have to accept the help or not accept the help. So there's a way to offer those questions. And we have to teach other people to offer them that way. Yeah, love that. It's like an open-ended declarative statement in a way for families like ours. Yeah. Do you have any like top three signs or triggers that you came to recognize or that you'd like families listening to think about recognizing when they're gauging their own mental and emotional bandwidth on any given day? I want to say I can't think of anything that's coming right to my mind. What would trigger me to say today I'm only in the mood for giving the supermarket answer? I think it would be, you know, a whole host of things like, for example, Effie, you just had to go to the ER with Ezzy, right? To get stitches. That's a day where if you had to go to the and interface with somebody, you were probably just going to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to give the he's fine answer or it's all good answer because it's too hard to explain all of those things. What advice would you give to the parents who are struggling with how and when to share their story? I think the mantra that you need to set in your brain is that it's your story to tell however you want to tell it and that it will evolve over time as either your own situation progresses or that of your child progresses or life circumstances change and owning it and knowing that you can tell big truths or little truths depending on the day um, can be very empowering and making answering those uncomfortable questions more comfortable. Um, It can help you conquer the silences or address even looks that people might be giving you if your child looks different. Ultimately, you know, all of this and answering is rooted in your own personal identity. So a lot of this is about figuring out, again, how comfortable are you? What what is it that you're wanting to expose about yourself? Are you willing to be vulnerable today? Understanding your own capacity to hold your own vulnerability will help you embrace your story and know when it it's the right moment to sort of let those big things out and when it's the right moment to hold them close in your heart. And also, I think it's important to remember that if you choose to hold them close in your heart and not tell every truth, that it doesn't mean that you're not honoring that person. This is particularly true for bereaved parents, right? On the day when somebody says, how many children do you have? And you're just not up for the whole conversation about explaining the complicated fact that you've had a child pass away. It's okay to hold that truth inside of you if that's what you need. It doesn't mean you didn't love your child or you're not, you know, you're not honoring them in the right way. It means at that very moment, you're protecting that inner core of your story. And and that's what you needed to do. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so how does uh, the Courageous Parents Network support families in navigating these types of interactions and just generally managing their emotional bandwidth? Yeah, so um, there are so many resources available on Courageous Parents Network, and uh, all of them come through 
the voices of other parents. And this is really important. So you can go on our website and explore topics like maintaining your marriage or tending your siblings or answering complicated questions like we were talking about today or making a major medical decision or working with your medical team. And you can listen to the voices of other parents and we have clinicians as well talking about those experiences so that you can learn from them. And I like to say, it's a great opportunity to put on a variety of hats. So you can go on and listen to how one one couple or or caregiver approached um, considering a feeding tube for their child, and then listen to how a different caregiver approached it, and then a different one. And, and, And as you're listening, you're learning and you're figuring out which hat sort of fits my head better, which one meets my family's goals of care, and what I want for my child and for my whole family and for myself. The resources here can help support you in all of your decision making. We have lots of guides and and all of it is designed to help you determine, you know, what are your goals of care and how are you making the decisions that are best for your child and your family. And, and so I said, you know, as I say, it's a great space to try on different hats and, and figure out what meets the emotional needs of your family. And you can do a lot of learning there, too. So if you want to understand what shared decision making is, we have a guide on that. If you want to um, explore what it's like to think about participating in a clinical trial, we we have resources that can support you there. And again, all of the other topics that we worry about, our other kids, our marriage, going to work, all of those things are explored on Courageous Parents Network. And they're all there 24-7, which is also really nice because you can go on in the middle of the night when you start having all those crazy thoughts. Oof, those middle of the night thoughts that eventually lead you to Instagram shopping for some, I know. Thanks for talking us through the supermarket answer. I think it's it's so much bigger than that. And I think what I like to take away from it as a reminder is that we don't have to have a fixed strategy either on anything, right? Like, I know this was a strategy for you, but it wasn't fixed. Instead, it's recognizing all of our approach as a rare disease parent is so fluid and that we just naturally evolve over time and through difficulty levels and just in general as a human being. But realizing that just because you're doing it one way doesn't mean it's the right way all the time for you and that that's okay, And that's actually good to recognize that and to really just kind of go bit by bit. Yeah, totally agree with you. I mean, think about it in terms of just the supermarket, right? It depends on which aisle you want to walk down, right? Are you shopping the outside today and just going for all those really healthy things? Do you need to dab into the middle and collect up some of those canned goods that are in there for the long haul? So even if you go back to sort of the visual of the supermarket, finding your answer really has to take into consideration all the the fluidity of our lives and, and how it can change on day to day. Yeah. All right. Well, Jen, is there any other like piece of advice or a reminder that you'd like to leave for our families listening? Well, I certainly hope that everyone will go to CourageousParentsNetwork.org and join. Um, We don't send out a ton of emails, but it will keep you abreast of everything that we are doing. You can even download our app onto your phone. And you can always, always, always reach out to me at Jennifer at CourageousParentsNetwork.org if you have something specific you want to either share with the network or uh, resources that you're looking for specifically. Other than that, no, I just want to thank you, Effie, for always opening up the dialogue and keeping the community strong. And I love talking to you. 
Thank you so much. It is my absolute honor. And uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I know you're all so busy over there. I really appreciate it. All the all the links to CPN and everything Jen mentioned will be in the show notes here. So definitely make sure and go sign up with them because they are it for our families. Thanks, Jen. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye, Effie. Have a nice day. A special thank you to Dante Labs for sponsoring this episode of Once Upon a Gene. To learn more about Dante Labs and how they're revolutionizing healthcare, please visit us.dantelabs.com. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.